We are starting a new series today, and that series is titled The Church. We're going to be in First and Second Timothy for the next, I, th- I believe, five or six weeks. I don't remember exactly. I think it's five. Regardless, we're going to be in First and Second Timothy the next five weeks or so, and we're going to be talking about Paul's instructions for the church that he delivered to Timothy, uh, for the church that Timothy was serving. Uh, there are instructions that, yes, applied to a specific church way old back in the day, but they apply to us as well, and so that's where we're going to take a look at them. Today, we are going to be in First Timothy chapter 1. Verses 3 through 11. I will bounce around a little bit. There's some different uh, scriptures that I will hit. But the basis of the message is coming straight out of 1 Timothy. Now, one of the things that I love most in this world, and I don't know if there's going to be a lot that agree with me, but one of the things that I love most in this world is math. I have always been a, a math brain. Now, I will tell you this. I could not for the longest time write to save my life. Uh, my mom can attest to this. One time uh, in high school, I wrote a paper and my sister proof, <laughs> proofread it, and uh, I, you know, she proofread it, and she printed it off for me because I had to go to bed, and it was sitting there, and I took it the next day, and I got an A on this paper. And I was like, man, I am so great at this. So I was like, I'm going to reread this paper, and it wasn't my paper. <laughs> um, it was the subject that I had, but my sister uh, rewrote my paper because it was that bad. Um, I mean, I couldn't tell you the difference between two, two, and two, and where a comma goes and why you use it. Uh, basically, my life is one giant run-on sentence. But I love math uh, because math has these things called formulas, and it's very methodical. And it doesn't matter what set of numbers you're given. If you know the right formula to use, you can find and provide the right answer. And there's something about that that I really love. I love doing the steps and then getting to the answer. It's the same thing. I, reason I love mowing. Like, I love to mow because you can see the grass just start to disappear, right? And so you really, like, can tell that you're accomplishing something. You're getting to the end of a task. One of the things I hate about math, though, the thing that I always struggle with in school is the teacher who would tell you, you have to show your work. Right? You have to show your work. Because I did the majority of, my, of the math in my head. I would go through the formulas and do all the math, and I'd write the answer down. And I would usually get the right answer. But I wouldn't show my work, and so I'd get my assignment back, and in big red ink on the top of the paper, it would say, most of the time, you had the right answers, but you didn't show your work. Please redo and turn it back into me. Great. Right? Great. Now, I hated that. I hated that. Um, but I'll say this. While it took a lot longer than it should have, eventually I learned the lesson to show my work. But I learned a lot bigger lesson, too, and it's this. It's not just about having the right answer in life. A lot of times it's about how we deliver that answer that is also equally important. So it doesn't matter that we just have the right answer or that we can get the right answer or we can tell people the right answer. A lot of the times our delivery is equally as important to sharing that answer with others. 1 Timothy 1, 3-11 says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love. I'm going to repeat that. Verse 5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and the rebels, the ungodly and the sinful, the unholy and the irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those 
practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that, confor- that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. The goal of this command is love. The goal of this command is love. See, we have all been blessed with the word. We've all been blessed with the word. It's how God has chosen to reveal himself. Or I should say one of the ways that God has chosen to reveal himself to us in our day and age. Now the word is perfect and it is true and it is without error. If you look at life as a big question, right? Life is this question that I must answer. Then the Bible is the answer. The word of God is the answer. So many of us want God to talk to us. God, just tell me what to do. I can say that I have said that in my life. Like we want to audibly hear God say, go do this or make this choice. But God has already revealed to us how it is that we should walk, how it is that we should live, how it is that we should treat other people, what we should do on the day to day. And it's all in scripture. And if we spent daily time diving into scripture, then we would know the character of God. We would know the will of God. And we would know a lot of times the way that God would want us to walk. Listen to Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I think all of us have been in a situation like this where we could say, hey, I've been there. Every time I walk into the church, if I'm the, like, there are times this week I had to come to the church and deliver some supplies I bought. When you walk in, our church is very dark, right? The back windows are blacked out and our color isn't exactly the brightest, which I love the color. Let's not like start a committee and repaint everything. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm just saying you walk in, it is pitch black. It is pitch black. You can't see anything. You can't see your feet. Okay, you can't see your hands. In fact, there was like a thing two weeks ago. I got caught in here. I turned a light off and then I couldn't find the door back there. And I was like, I panicked, like shortly panicked way more than I should have for a moment because I realized I had my phone. I could just turn my flashlight on, but I didn't do that. But we've all been in a situation like that where it's so dark and we can't see anything. And we're like, I don't know what's around me. If I take one more step, there's a small chance I might die. And so whip out that phone, turn on that flashlight. Look at that. I can see all of a sudden. Okay, I can see all of a sudden. And that's what God is trying to tell us that the word is. Here's the scripture that I've given you. It will light your path. It will show you the way. When you are in darkness, it will bring you out. It will show you where it is that you should go. How many of us can say, though, that we use that light regularly? And we do it as often as we should. And we do it in sincerity, not just checking something off a list, but wanting to really grow and wanting to really learn from it. How many of us are still wandering around in the dark, feeling our way around, hoping that we don't die? Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Psalm 119, verse 160 tells us that the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. The sum of your word is truth. You have a Bible or you have a Bible app. It doesn't matter. You take the weight of everything that is in there. The sum of that word is truth. The sum of that word is telling you everything that you need to know. It is without error. It is perfect. It is the light for our feet. Is the word true? Yes, it is. Is the word good? Yes. Does the word give life? Yes, it does. It lights the path. It corrects the ways of the wicked. And it will bring you to life 
in Jesus. But can the word be misused? Yes, it can. And can the word be abused? Yes, it can. And can the word be corrupted? Yes, it can. It's not always enough to have the right answer. How we deliver that information is equally as important. And it is important that we stay true to the word. It is important that we stay true to the word and we use the word as a tool to light pass and not fulfill our own selfish purposes. This was a struggle in Ephesus, and this is why Timothy was there in the first place. First Timothy uh, chapter 1, 8 through 11. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers, rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and for liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God. That should sound familiar because I read it at the beginning of the sermon. The word can give life, but we have to focus on delivering that truth with love. Did you hear me? The word can give life to everyone that we know, but we have to focus on delivering the truth that, it, that we have with love. Because if the right answer isn't delivered in the right way, it can still be wrong. It can still harm. It can still push others away from God instead of bringing them to God. Jesus had to deliver hard truths, and he did it all the time. There's no better example than him. He confronted adulterers, tax collectors, religious leaders, even his friends. And you could see that Jesus would change the way that he approached people about their sin. Right? With Peter, his very good friend, he looks him in the eye and he says, get behind me, Satan. With the religious leaders, while he's in the temple and they're making it a, a market, he's tossing tables and he was righteous in his anger. Why? Because these people should know the answer. He can be blunt with them. He can be straightforward with them. You all have been in this community. You all have had the Word of God. Why is it that you are not adhering to it? Why is it that you are not following what it tells you to do? But think about when he met with the tax collectors and when he met with the adulterers. What did he do? He built relationships. Jesus was relational. He was one-on-one. -on -one. He was having conversations. He was taking them to dinner or at least having dinner with them. And before he delivered the hard and honest truth, he made sure that they knew that it was coming from a place of love. Jesus came not from a place of personal superiority, but moral superiority. Not, you should do this because I'm doing it and I am so good, but we should all do this because it's right because it's godly, and because it's just. Too many of us, too many of us walk around like little Westboro Baptist churches. And, and we just can't wait to, to make others feel bad. I don't know why we do it. I don't know if we do it to build ourselves up. I don't know if we do it to, to say that, hey, we are godly and we are working towards the task that God has laid out in front of us, but too many of us use the Scripture to beat people down instead of build people up. 
Too many people use scriptures to make themselves important. Too many people use the scripture to show that they're better. And all we do is we drive a wedge between God and people. And it's not always that what they're saying scripturally is wrong. It's that their technical delivery is off. God confronted people about their sin not because he wanted them to know that they were going to burn in hell. Not because he wanted them to feel shame and guilt and, 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 and the weight of their sin, but because he wanted to relieve that from them. Because he wanted them to know that there was a different way, a way that was built in love, a way that was built in sacrifice. And listen, telling someone that's gay that they're going to burn in hell because they're gay, not acceptable. Just not acceptable. Is homosexuality a sin? I will tell you, yes, it is. Scripture makes that pretty clear. But there's a way that we can deliver those truths with love rather than with hate. And it's following Jesus' example of building relationships with people to say, regardless of whether or not you agree with what I'm about to say, I'm doing this because I love you. Not because I hate you. Not because I want you to feel bad or feel guilty, but just so you know that just like you, I'm a sinner. But I found a way. And that way is Jesus. And the way that we deliver that message is by building relationships with other people. Too many of us will hide behind the fact that what we're saying is scripturally correct to be rude and to be mean to others. But the word is a sword. And it can be used to help or it can be used to harm. And using it to harm is not loving. It is not godly and it is not the way that we should behave. We do not... We do not need to add anything to Scripture, and we certainly do not need to take anything away. It's all there. But we also must accept that it's all there. Even the parts that we don't necessarily agree with. Titus chapter 1, verse 2 tells us that we have a God who never lies. We have a God that never lies. First Timothy the 6, 3-4 says that if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. Listen to that. If anything, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and they understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicions. Psalm 19.7, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing to the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You see, Scripture needs nothing added to it. Scripture needs nothing added to it. It's perfect, it's true. It and alone, itself alone, are the, is the good news. We don't have to supplement that good news. It's all there. It's all there. It reveals to us who God is, it tells us how we can be in relationship with Jesus and how it is that we are supposed to live. It tells us everything that we need to know and it gives us life. 
At the same time, Scripture needs nothing taken away from it. Hear me on this one. Scripture needs nothing taken away from it. Again, it is perfect and it is true. In and of itself, it is good news. It reveals to us who God is and tells us everything that we need to know. Scripture gives life. It's only corrupt or wrong when we change it. It's only corrupt or wrong when we change it. When we say we somehow know better. Here's the thing. This is going to be hard for some of us to hear. Your opinions don't matter. I'll say it one more time. Your opinions don't matter. They just don't. Truth is truth regardless of how you feel about it. Truth does not care about your feelings. In a day and age where we're supposed to put everybody's feelings first, I'm telling you, not the case. Scripture does not bend for the way you feel about it. What you want to be true doesn't matter. And I think that this is something that people really struggle with. See, the truth is that God does love you. And He cares about you. But truth is still truth. Regardless of whether or not you want it to be true, if God says it's true, then it is so. So is homosexuality a sin? Yes. You know what else is a sin? Gluttony. I should probably stay away from buffets because I can't control myself around fried chicken. You know what else is a sin? Telling a little white lie. Even if we think we're doing it to help people out. My mom has this thing where she won't lie to us. Like even if the, the, the truth is not good, like if one of our kids come up and are like, hey, is Santa real? She'll do one of those like Jedi mind tricks where she's like, what do you think? <laughs> well, of course he is. And then she'll be like, okay. But if like they're like, I want you to tell me, she'd be like, no, Santa's not real. Sorry. If anybody in here still thought Santa was real, sorry. He's not. Right? But she has this thing where she just won't lie to us. And at times it brings us to a harsh reality, but... It's also something that I can always appreciate that I know that my mom's going to be honest with me. She just will. We don't get to justify our actions based on Scripture or say, well, yeah, this Scripture is, says this, but it actually means this. Right? We don't get to change it. God's Word is forthright. The good thing about it is we know exactly what he's thinking in most instances. Now, you read Revelation, maybe you'll get a little confused. Okay, there's some things that are choppy. But for the most part, God just says it like it is. It's one of the things I like about him. That's a sin. Don't do it. Right? Don't kill people. Don't steal. Don't covet. Don't commit adultery. He just says it like it is. Here's the thing. Please do not ever fool yourself that you somehow know better than God. Please do not ever fool yourself that you somehow know better than God. That because we live in this day and age where we have so much technology at our fingertips and we have evolved so much from this time back in this day where the cultures were different and, and, and the, the thoughts were different that somehow now God's word doesn't apply as literally as it did then because times have changed. If God can create the earth... And God knows how many hairs are on your head. 
And God tells the oceans when to stop and tells the sun when it should come up and when it should go down. If God can do all those things, then I think that he can deliver a message that is everlasting. Don't ever fool yourself into thinking that you know better than God. Our cultures being different doesn't matter. Okay, it just doesn't matter. Thinking that scriptures are somehow biased and that uh, scripture doesn't quite mean what it says it says because of, say, an age, it just doesn't compute. God is an everlasting God who delivered an everlasting message. And what was right then is still right now. And what was wrong then is still wrong now. Scripture has not changed. We have. And that's why it makes it even more important in this day and age that we must hold true to what it is that it says. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so that a servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, all Scripture, not just the parts you like, not just the parts we agree with, not just the parts that make us feel warm and fuzzy, but all Scripture. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Are we denying ourselves on a daily basis? Are we denying ourselves on a daily basis? You know what I would love more than anything in the world? I would love for everybody to go to heaven. Regardless of what they've done in their life, I would love for everybody to experience that new life, that joy, that complete change in everything that they've ever known. I would love for everyone to be able to grasp that. But just because I would love for that to be the case and just because I want that to be the case does not make that the case. Jesus tells us that he's the way, he's the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And that is him. And that is truth. And that is blunt. But it is what it is. And these scriptures are things that we must hold on to, that we must cling to, that we must share with others. And that we must have foundationally at our beginning. So that we can say, I don't always agree with everything and I wish it wasn't so, but this is truth. This is truth. Will you deny yourself and follow Jesus? Will you deny yourself to do what is right? Will you be responsible with the truth it is that we have been given? And wield that truth with love. Again, the command of everything that was said here is love. The purpose of it is love. It is not loving to beat people over the head with the truth. It's also not loving to either add things or take things away to make it more palatable for people to digest. What is loving is delivering truth in a way that says, I am telling you this, not because I want to judge you, but because I love you and I've experienced grace and I want you to experience it too. The church loves. And the church uses everything at its disposal to love, including 
the Word of God? Will you live your life with love at the very center? Will you live your life with love at the very center? Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. Um, It's challenging this morning. It was challenging for me. I hope it was challenging for others. I know that sometimes, God, I can get this uh, resting, angry face that makes people think that I'm mad. I'm not mad. Uh, I just see the truth that's here in the scripture and understand that it's loving to say it like it is. And it's loving to share your word and to share truth with individuals. And so God, I pray that all of us hear the message today, read what's here in Timothy, and understand that we have a special responsibility. That those of us who have a relationship with Jesus must share that relationship with others. But we must share that relationship in a way that agrees with Jesus' character. That agrees with God's character. Scripture says that for God so loved the world. And so we must love the world in the way that we deliver these truths. The church loves above all else. Our purpose, if nothing else, is to love. That does not mean that we agree. That does not mean that we bend. That does not mean that we have to change what Scripture says. But it does mean that we make sure that people know it is from love and not hate that we suggest these changes. Help us to be people who will share our own personal experiences with those around us so that they can see that we are sinners too and that that we understand that we are sinners too because all have sinned and all need glory. Everyone needs grace. Help us to be people who show that grace to people that we come across every single day in our lives. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.